You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. At the end of the day, after everyone left, we all tried to go back to... You're listening to The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm Mo Brady. We all looked the same, but we're different than we were. The gym was a sign... Come From Away is a show about compassion about putting others' needs before your own, about looking outside of yourself and thinking of the greater good. It's also a show about a moment before and a moment after, and how community is formed when people from different walks of life are made to empathize with each other due to shared, uncomfortable experiences. And while the show takes place in the hours and days after 9-11, There hasn't been a more relatable moment to these themes since the show opened than what we are experiencing right now during the COVID-19 pandemic. In this podcast episode, host Kirsten Anderson talks with Danny Goldstein, the associate director of Come From Away. He was one of the first theatrical practitioners in the world to reopen theaters following the shutdown. He talks with Kirsten about traveling to Melbourne, Australia to reopen the show, how the theater-making experience was modified to keep people safe, as well as both the joy and trauma he believes theatergoers will experience as they are allowed to watch live performances once again. Here's their conversation. Out the airplane window, I can see Manhattan, and there's still smoke. And suddenly I'm afraid all over again, and there others afraid too. Hi, Danny Goldstein. Hi, friend. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm fine. I'm in the basement of our house in Massachusetts. It is snowing for like the millionth day in a row. We're here to talk about Come From Away. How did you come to be the associate director of Come From Away? I came to be the associate director. It was the summer of 2017. Earlier that year, I had gotten sort of a taste of like what a sort of job job would be, like not just a show and then nothing else. I thought I was going to get this artistic director job of a theater that I won't say. Like I really thought I had it. I got excited about having a job job where I would get money and not have to travel so much so that I wasn't away from my family. I have a three-year-old and an eight-year-old. At that time, I had a brand new baby. I didn't get that gig. I was pissed I didn't get it. I really wanted it. I called my agents and I was like, I I want a job job. So a little while later, Di Glazer, one of my agents, called and said, have you heard of Come From Way? Have you seen it? Chris is looking for a new associate. Are you interested? I knew Chris from Williamstown. I had assisted him on a show at Williamstown when I was an intern there, I think the summer of 2000. And then I had also assisted him on All Shook Up, the Broadway Elvis musical All Shook Up. So I spent a lot of time with him that year. You know, it was hard. I really thought like that one would be my last associate job and I made a really big decision to not do that anymore. But the show felt like my kind of show. I went to see it in June. It's so simple. There's not much there. It's about good people being good to each other. It, it's not arch. It's like my vibe. Over that summer, it took a little while for it to all sort of coalesce and come to place. But middle to end of July, I started that job. And so I got to know the show really well. But as you can know, if you've seen the show, it's a really complex show. I mean, what's really amazing about it is that it was created by that company of actors over the course of five productions. So the level of detail in it is only stuff that can happen by people who are working on the same show who go like, hey, I need that shirt. And someone will go five minutes earlier. Oh, I have a spot that I can bring it in from stage left. So I'll bring it there and put it on this chair. So much of what is 
crazy about that show is the level of detail that you don't even notice till you've seen the show five or six times, but also the kind of thing that makes it just impossible to really learn. So I spent a lot of time learning the show, watching it over and over again. I went up with them that year to Canada to help with the first Toronto production. I, I worked on the tour version in the summer of 2019 in the States and winter of 2019 in Australia. My wife and kids and I all went to Melbourne for nine weeks to put up the company there. I went over there with Ricky Hines, the associate choreographer. We left a few days before Thanksgiving. We left on the 20th, I believe. Got there on the 22nd. You're met at the airport by people. It's like single file. You immediately get a new mask. You get a temperature check. You're met by people in sort of full PPE. Have an interview with a medical professional. Then you are put by the army onto a bus, like army dudes in fatigues. And so then you are on a bus with all these people and you are taken to a hotel. And then you get to the hotel and they put you in a room with your bag. And then you don't leave that room for two weeks. That's it. You're tested on day two. So then you were in a hotel room for two weeks. Yeah, they test you for COVID on day two and day 10. Um, Where I was, was I was really lucky. I had a a room with a little kitchenette and a balcony and a separate bedroom. It was like cushy. Wow. So I could order from the grocery store from Woolies and I could order booze and people could bring us care packages. Our friends who were in the show in Sydney brought us bottles of gin and bottles of wine and Marika Aubrey, who is Australian, who was in Australia during that time, had made like a full Thanksgiving dinner. Then we left. I got to leave the hotel. I had one more night in Sydney because we didn't know when I was going to be released. So we didn't know how to book plane tickets. Right. So I left the next day. So that night I met up with Tony Sheldon and his husband, Tony. And we went to see Frozen the Musical in previews uh, in Sydney, which had already opened. And then I flew to Melbourne the next day and we were on our way. When you finally were released, what did it feel like? Did you have like residual raised shoulders or fear? No, I had my legs hurt. Like I realized I hadn't walked any reasonable distance in a long time, even though I had been working out. Like I had trouble walking by the end of the night. And then Sydney was like, it felt like real life. Like mostly no one was wearing masks. When you went into some, like inside you wore masks. Okay. Yeah. And then I went to Melbourne and we started rehearsals for the show, which was a whole other situation. What was it like being in a rehearsal room again? Well, what was crazy is we were rehearsing the show on stage of a giant theater, like one of their bigger houses, like Moulin Rouge is opening at this theater. So we were rehearsing on the stage. So it felt great because it was tons of air around us it didn't feel like a room you know they had come up with all these covid plans so you have like a temperature check when you get in this like ipad that like scans your face and takes your temperature and it goes like 36.6 degrees daniel goldstein (laughs) in its little australian accent in celsius you wear a mask unless you're working like the rule is if you're sitting behind the table you're wearing a mask but if you're like up and doing stuff you don't have to wear one okay and you know it felt a little random in terms of like that kind of stuff but also there were at this point zero cases on the ground in the state of victoria zero and had been for over a month it felt sort of okay like the stage manager had to do a lot more wiping down of stuff Mm -hmm. and if i was backstage and went into the house 
And then I came backstage. I had to like put booties on and change my mask and do all that kind of stuff. So there were some, there were, you know, they took it very seriously. There were a lot of precautions. They do stuff where they like try to stagger the exits of the audience after shows. Okay. We were selling the show at about 85%, which felt pretty full, but there were still a bunch of empty seats. Everyone's supposed to wear their mask the whole time. You could take it down if you had a drink and everyone always had a drink. So you would see people with their masks at their neck Mm. but like it also required that i like made the theater keep bumping the temperature down farther and farther and farther because when you have a mask on in a theater it makes it feel hotter totally you got to keep it cold for comedy cold for comedy yeah i thought it was too hot during the dress rehearsal and they didn't laugh as much and then the first preview was a lot cooler and they laughed a lot more there was an amazing video of you they just said danny will you do like a dress rehearsal the normal director dress rehearsal speech like turn off your cell phones it's a it's a dress rehearsal we might stop i thought that i needed to write something for it that that acknowledged what the people of melbourne had done i I, i'm not sure people in the states quite understand how harsh that lockdown was it was 200 days they went into lockdown in march and essentially, save for a few weeks in June, which is their winter, so they weren't really going out so much anyway, save for a few weeks in June, were in lockdown until late October. Almost 200 days of harsh, harsh lockdown. They did it, and they didn't complain, and they went for the greater good, and they understood what was at stake. And now look what they get to do. They get to go to see shows. So it felt really important for us as the Americans coming in to say thank you for letting us have our jobs back for a minute. This has been really special and it's because of you. And so I wrote that speech. It really did make the rounds. Last time I checked, it had like tens of thousands of views. Absolutely. I found it incredibly powerful. And I think many people in my circle, our circle really did to see you people, you know, someone we know on a stage again in a theater with people talk about the experience. I was scared to watch it. I didn't know if I was going to be emotionally prepared. (laughs) What did it feel? feel like just just look out at an audience again well that was crazy i mean i the upstage wall of come from way these like wood slats yeah and so the secret is like we are always up there before the show peeking out at everybody because you can't see us nice so we're like sussing out the audience a little bit up there and um i looked out i took a picture of it too through the slats which was really cool Whoa. Uh, i think for the first preview it was really fun to see a full theater it was like during the dress rehearsal when i was sitting at my tech table getting ready for the for the dress and the theater crowd murmur that you hear when you're sitting in a theater and just people are talking and it feels like that hum of people who are excited to be someplace it was really that was really thrilling it also felt very normal like nothing had ever happened like I woke up from a really bad dream it felt I felt very lucky I felt honored to be able to represent our show in that way When I do table work for that show, I talk a lot about something that Chris emphasizes, which I think is really important, that the show itself is about kindness to strangers during a time of crisis. Mm -hmm. That it's not just about being kind to each other, but being kind when it's hard to do so. And that that's something that we as a company try to practice off stage as well as on. Because the show is so collaborative, you couldn't do it without kindness. Like you couldn't do it without helping people out. Patrina Bromley is a Canadian, but also a Newfoundlander. Awesome. She moves more chairs than anybody else because if there was ever a time to help, she'd be like, oh, I got it. I can move that chair. Like going to the first plane, she moves 
four chairs. Wow. Four chairs and, and has a costume change. And so, it, you know, like you can always sort of see that sense of kindness. And so it felt like our show had been represented by the people of Melbourne and we wanted to acknowledge that. That crew of Americans who were there, did you ever need to like debrief your experience or what was that like? Do We debriefed the experience for everybody because everybody was coming out of, you know, I said, look, if you ever need a moment where you're feeling like you're just too close to a person, like take some space, like we will figure it out. We will understand how that is. And I think it, everyone sort of came at it with their own willingness to engage. It took some people longer than others. And I think I think that was just part of the process, like to be able to acknowledge what was happening, that some parts of the show were going to be really hard for people, that like there were going to be, there was going to be crying in baseball for a little bit. And like eventually that would go away, that that, that was like the, the part of it that is personal and not necessarily the part of it that is... Um, you know, part of the acting. And everyone had to have the space to be able to go through that, just as we will when we come together again in, in April to shoot the Broadway company for the, for the filmed version of it. And, you know, when we put that company back together for when it's actually on Broadway, when we put the tour back together, like there is going to be trauma that is, it is necessary to acknowledge. And so I felt often like I was half director, half counselor to acknowledge and take in and hear their trauma. It's traumatic. Yeah. It is traumatic. And theater's return is going to be traumatic for many, many people. And also then really joyous, hopefully. Yeah, I fear underestimating the trauma of it. What is your, maybe not advice, but do you have thoughts or feelings about what it will look like in America when theater gets to come back. You know, my only hope is that the people in charge, the producers, the directors, the choreographers, the music directors, the people who are responsible for making the schedules understand that the people that they are asking to be vulnerable on stage are not going to be able to for a minute that their vulnerability has been shattered. Mm. It is as though they are victims of a terrorist attack. It is as though they are victims of a mass shooting. It is as though they've lost their entire family in a plane crash. It is traumatic. And people will seem fine for a moment and then lose it. That's got to be okay. I hope all those things, too. Those are the things I hope. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I hope people will come. I mean, I hope when it's finally safe to do so, people will come. Special thanks to Danny Goldstein for sharing his stories with us today. The Ensemblist was produced today by Kristen Anderson, Jackson Klein, and me, Mo Brady. Please rate and review The Ensemblist wherever you listen to podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at bpn.fm, the home of Broadway Podcast Network. Our Patreon members have on-demand access to our archive, including full conversations with guests and early access to episodes. You can join Kat Hicks, Cheryl Hodges-Selden, Linda Lee, Phoebe Stewart, and many, many more by joining us at patreon.com slash theensemblist. Thanks for listening. Until next time.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 